tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not point fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. So my podcast this evening is a deep, heavy, heavy issue that there's there's not an American that I know of that would not somehow have a chance of being affected by the opioid epidemic that's going on in the country right now. And Tom Moore here runs a support group for parents, siblings, family members, any friends. Anybody can show up to this if they're dealing. Like, say you got a best friend that that's uh, you know got trouble, they can come talk to you and. Learn how to cope, how to deal with the situation. Absolutely. Okay, and uh, um, Tom's group is a uh, is a is run through a church. It's a kind of a um, you know, it's like we were talking before the podcast that some people are a little freaked out about that, but you got to let all that go and go in there and try and get the information that you got to get out of it. Uh, Walk through your fears in just a minute. Right, 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 right. Now, um, you know, let's talk about like I think that there's a stigma. This topic's got so many stigmas, it's, it's insane. Stigma to the parent that, that lost the child, which Tom lost, lost his son five and a half years ago to this epidemic. And then there's also the stigma for the, the addict, that they're somehow uh, either gluttons or they have no, no uh, self-control uh, you know, or like, and none immoral. of that. Yeah, immoral, right? I heard that one too. Um, which, from my research, none of that is is even applicable in this in this situation. Every single person that's out there can become an addict if they're just put into the right situation. With the, and I mean, some of my research has gone into the uh, the what I think it's the Purdue family or something like that. The people who came up with oxycontin, oh and uh, um, I mean they've made billions of dollars off of this and ruined millions of lives in the process. Thirty-four billion. Thirty-four billion, right? Profits. Was their profits, right? I read that. Um, so, you know, there, there's just so much to cover in this situation. The, the the first thing would be like, so I mean, what kind of guy are you? What what, what are the things you like to do? Like, uh, you know, explain before this all went down. What was uh? What do you do for a living, Tom? I don't. I don't even know. I've been in sales my whole life. Okay, what do you sell? Currently, I'm unemployed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Just lost my position a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I was in the automobile that. industry for uh, about 15 years, but sold outdoor power equipment, sold, uh, worked for a wholesale florist, uh, kind of been in sales my whole life, uh, uh, never went through a um, uh, finished college degree. So um, sales was a way that I figured out I could make some money. And I'm a real estate broker. I'm in sales too. Yeah, I sold yeah. construction before that. Uh, 
So, okay, so like uh, hobbies and stuff like that. I saw on your uh, Facebook feed that you were camping just not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. regular. Yeah, camping is a big, big part of my life in the summertime. Uh, I grew up camping. Uh, my, my kids uh, grew up camping, and now I've got a granddaughter that uh, we take her camping all the time. But nice. We, we've, got a, we've got a permanent spot out near Coal City, and uh, it's a nice uh, short drive from New Lenox, so um, I'm out there like every weekend in the summertime. Good, and that was – all your life, or that's always been a thing you've done? I mean, outdoors guy otherwise, uh, yeah, hunt fish, you know, any of that kind uh, of stuff? Kind of gave up on the fishing and just more, uh, you know, recreation, boating. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. My brother, uh, my brother's got a, he's got a speed boat and a pontoon boat, and there's a beach there. And, you know, I just like to go out in the nature and relax. Now, what, uh, where are you from? Are you always from, like, the Joliet area, or where are you from? Originally from uh, uh, Mount Greenwood, south side of Chicago. Then we okay. moved to Evergreen Park. I graduated from Evergreen Park, and uh, when I got married in 1991, we moved out to New Lenox and uh, been out there ever since. Okay, yeah, right. So, years. I mean, the base of my audience is probably, you know, New Len- the Lincoln Way area as far as that goes. So, like, the people that are listening, Tom's a guy just like you are. Tom, Tom's, you know, blindsided by this this situation that went down. And I would encourage anybody to, to you know, have a listen to what's going on. Just to, as a, if, if there's any sort of something you can glean that'd be prevented preventative in this situation that you could, I mean, what would you, what would you say to someone like, you know, what would be something that they, they should look for early on? Are there, are there some mistakes? I don't want to cross any lines with you either. I don't want to ask something that, that's going to like, uh, you know, make, I don't, you know, I'm not. I'm, I ask me anything. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Uh, as far as, you know, the, the biggest preventative thing to do is, is you just get educated. Uh, don't think that it can't, can't happen to you. Don't think it won't happen to your kids. Um, you know, my, uh, my kids, my son, uh, honor roll students, uh, athletes, um, you know, it, it, it just it happened so fast. And, uh, uh, you know, when I found out that there was heroin in our neighborhood, my kids were, were both in high school. And when I found out there was heroin in my neighborhood, it just blindsided me. You know, it just wasn't uh, just wasn't something on my radar. Now, how did it get? So how old are you, Tom? Do you mind me asking? 55. 55. Okay, I'm 48. And growing up, we grew up in the Frankfurt area. Heroin just was not. I mean, we heard about it every once sure. in a while, but it just was not a thing that was around for for us to you know to anyone even mess with anyway. And it it never seemed like something that was even remotely appealing to me as far as that goes. Like I saw it on um, that there was just so many people taking these pain pills, and uh, in my opinion, and and everything that I talk about is is my opinion. Um, but in my opinion. Um, you know the drug cartels they're they're business people they're not they're not foolish um you know uh in, importing marijuana was never was not a big thing anymore uh we were growing marijuana in, in, in the states here so um, they saw the need for pain uh relief and um you know they they, they started making uh, uh heroin readily available you know on, on the streets you know in- yeah that's something i never looked into like if if there was obviously there had to be a jump in that and then the addition of fentanyl being what i saw was two grains of salt worth of that can yeah. kill you Fentanyl's a game changer and, right and, and you know here's the thing about fentanyl um you know heroin you have to you know it's a crop you know and then the poppy plant so you have to you have to plant it you, you know you have to manage it you have to cultivate it you have to process it 
you know, and then you have to transport it. The fentanyl is is is, is chemical. It's made in a, it's made in a lab. Synthetic, right? You know, right. and and it's you know so much more potent and so much easier. You know, you can smuggle large quantities. You know, it's much easier. When all you need is two grains of salt to kill you. A couple of grains of yeah, a couple yeah. of grains of salt. It, it it's it's insane. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's kind of you know the, uh, the the dealers and distributors. You know, it's all um, you know they're not scientists. They're 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 uh, using people as guinea pigs and trying to you know the the um, you know the heroin most of the heroin in this part of the country comes from Mexico. It's a lower grade of heroin, black tar heroin, um, and so the, the the dealers use the fentanyl to help boost the the quality of the heroin. Yeah. Um, they don't have a fentanyl problem over in Europe. Um, from what I've read about over in Europe, they get great high quality heroin from Afghanistan. Um, you know, yeah, so that's why I heard that a lot of Europe gets all their from from Afghanistan. That's, right. that's the deal. But they don't they don't deal with it. They don't they don't have a fentanyl problem over there, at least not yet, like we do here, um, because they don't have a quality issue. Okay, so I saw a documentary that was talking about the history of the poppy plant, which is where heroin's derived from, the the poppy seed or whatever it is, and people have been taking heroin since the Roman Empire days, since ancient sure. China and stuff like that. But it was never like a. Um, it was never. It was always a medicine, not a drug of pleasure, sort of right. thing. And then in this country, you could get prescribed heroin at one time. That like there's were ads and stuff I saw that were. Bear. And the reason, yeah, Bayer right was right. So I mean, I don't know what's going on in the because the the numbers that I found are staggering. I mean, I was talking before the podcast, numbers like seventy, eighty thousand people dying. You said two hundred people a day. Every day, and and there's no. I I know too many people in my, you know, suburban life that are affected by this. Like, I mean, I think I know five people that their families lost somebody. It, it, you know, maybe not to the overdose. Uh, one guy was we had a heart attack. Like they said, it was unrelated, but he was so screwed up for so long. I gotta imagine that 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 goes back to that. But uh, so like we're all all these people are affected by this and there's no it has there been any meaningful legislation passed? I haven't seen any that that in, in my research that like chain was a game changer. I don't I don't think so yet. It's, it's coming very slow. Um, again, in my opinion, I think that this, you know, this epidemic, this crisis isn't going to be solved by the government. It's going to be solved one community at a time. You know, people standing up, people getting educated, people being aware, and uh, uh, you know, people making a difference and taking back, you know, taking back, uh, changing perceptions. And um, um, you know, it's um, I don't believe I don't believe that drugs are a problem. I think the drugs are a symptom of a problem. The question is, is why are we in so much pain that so many people want to self-medicate to extreme? Right, right, right. Now, so okay, so these, these opioid these opioid pain medications they have a place in medicine. For short-term pain relief, but you don't need thirty of them because you got your wisdom teeth. Pulled. Right. The fentanyl was developed for cancer patients cancer. that were terminal. Yeah. Yes, dying, right. dying, dying. Right, right. Yeah. Just, just to relieve the pain from that. Uh, so, okay. So, like, I'm trying. I'm still like, I'm overwhelmed by what I this week. I know I knew you were coming in, and I did as much reading as I could, and then every chance I had, there was some Netflix documentary that was on that I was trying to catch to try and figure stuff out, and 
there's so much swirling around my head as far as like the the the, the massive amount of numbers. I mean, we just had some black market uh, vape pen situation where six people died and they're immediately talking about banning fruit flavored. Right. And I'm like, good golly, you're banning that for, and well, I mean, you know, I, I never that like, that's not important. No, right. Right. I never like the argument of what, like, cause the, the gun crowd always makes the argument that, Oh, 400 and some odd people were killed by rifles last year. But you know, this many people were killed by this. Like, Every issue is touching somebody that needs to be, you know, looked at and see what you can do to, to rectify the situation. But four hundred thousand people were die a year from tobacco use, and we haven't banned cigarettes yet. Right. But six people die from the vape thing, and we're ready to we're ready to ban that situation completely. Um, the billions that were made, like you said, the Purdue family made thirty four billion dollars off of. That's a there's a lot of dead bodies in the wake of that money that they made. Um, I gotta imagine that the money somehow helps make it not, because it seems like a thing that you could just be like, right, we got, we found the, we found ground zero, you know, we could do something right here with the, with the drug uh, prescription situation, because I think doctors were getting wealthy off of uh, prescribing it, sure. and the, and the pharmaceutical companies were doing real well too, and then one of the things that I read said that the, that, that Purdue family was now corner in the market on the there's a drug that they give you when you od that's supposed to reverse the effects of it like right away like boom like i can't remember what the name of it was now narcan narcan yeah narcan right exactly and it's just with me oh okay all right there you go yeah 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 right oh the nasal spray right 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 so i mean this um i saw a movie a couple months ago with uh the pretty woman lady uh Julia Roberts, uh, something about Ben or something like that. And she had this honor and she needed to get it redone at the, you know, because it was expired or whatever like that. And I think it ended up in the movie that saved the kid's life in the end. But, uh, but that, you know, that's an amazing product, but I don't think this family should be able to make money off of the fact that you, you caused this problem. Like, I don't know, this should be like uh, penicillin where it's like free or something like that. People should have that readily available. Um, so, okay, so, you know, it was used in this country as a, you know, as a pain reliever. Bayer Company used it at one point. I mean, cocaine was available in Coca-Cola at one time, too. So, like, all these things were, were, were a dual situation, and now we've got all these deaths. We've got – it's it's rampant. It's, it, to me, it's – I mean, okay, so I grew up um, – he's in junior high. We were starting to see pot. And we were starting to see, uh, I think, like in eighth grade, I saw somebody met somebody that had cocaine on them. And you know, as a young guy, I was an athlete and stuff like that. But we tried things, we experimented with stuff. I don't know how you were with that, but I was, was not saying right, 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 right. So I mean, and then you know, I, all of it's the same. I'm not, uh, I'm not a big drinker now, and uh, I'm not uh, a big drug user, you know, at all. But it was all there, and we. I, I didn't hear about it the way I hear about it today. It's like, it's like it's fun. And I mean, we have other addictions now. Like I'm pretty sure I'm addicted to my phone. I think we're all addicted to something. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and so there was a question on Facebook too about uh, addictive personality. And I've always used that as something. Cause I chewed tobacco forever. And then one day, a good uh, 16, 17 years ago, I just set it down. 
I never picked it up again. And I mean, I chewed on a regular basis where I you know, always had it in my back pocket. Every jeans pair had the ruined pocket in it. And I set it down and never picked it up again. And it didn't bother me. I just decided one day I wasn't going to chew anymore. Um, tried cocaine, never decided at two in the morning or three in the morning that I had to go do more of it. Um, so I always felt like I was a person that didn't have, you know, quote unquote, an addictive personality where other people at 5 a.m. were like headed to Chicago Heights to score more, more coke. Sure. And I was like, you guys can have problems. And they end up having problems. But I don't know if it's – that's a stigma that that is person to person, that one person is more susceptible. Um, we've all seen the studies where they put the monkey or the rat in the cage and they give it the two bottles of water, the one that's water and then the one that's got cocaine in it. And then the rat ends up killing himself with that. I saw another one, though, that they did in Denmark or Sweden or something like that that they made the cage that the rat was in rat park. And he had plenty of sex. He had plenty of foods that he liked. He had plenty of like entertaining things. Like, you know, he could chase things around all that other stuff. And they gave it the two waters and he chose the regular water, not the, not the cocaine. So what are we doing wrong? You know, you're someone that's probably spent a lot of time when I got injured. I spent a lot of time looking at the ceiling, trying to figure out, you know, how to end up here sort of a thing. My cat might want to join the, the, the podcast here. Uh, but, uh, right. Um, so, like, what what do you come up with as a guy who was put into this situation as what what are we doing wrong? Because our suicide rates are going way up, too. Yeah. I mean, just regular suicide, not by not by, by drug. And, I mean, I think I'm hearing that middle-aged men are jumping in, in a huge way suicide-wise. Well, you know, the, the uh, um, substance abuse and mental illness walk hand in hand. I mean, uh, you know, when, when you're when you're medicating to extreme, um, you know, you're killing the pain. You're trying to you're trying to get rid of the pain. You know, so uh, again, the question: Why are we in so much pain? You know, that we feel the need to, um, you know, escape. You know, reality. Why right. why is it so bad? And you know, as as a society. Um, you know, it's and I believe this is a societal problem. It's it's all of our problems. Even if you're not, even if you don't think you're affected yet, you are. But um, you know, if it's not directly in your family, um, God bless you. But you know, um, everybody's labeled. You know, every, every, you're tall, you're short, you're fat, you're skinny, you're black, you're white, you're Republican, you're Democrat. Right. How does how does someone growing up? How does somebody how does somebody fit in? You know, I, I've I've voted Republican before. I voted Democrat. You know, I don't I don't align myself either way. I try to look for a good candidate, you know, who's going to make a difference. So, you know, the man, I, I think it's a lot tougher, um, you know, especially for the younger generations growing up nowadays, um, you know, to, to find to find out who they are, to fit in. You know, sure, you're, sure. Not, you're not this, you're not that, but you have to associate with somebody, you know. Right, and, right, right. Um, you know, it's just, uh, um, you know, the. the just you know the, the stigma around the substance abuse, the stigma around mental illness, um, I think is the biggest thing that has to that has to change. You know, when I was growing up, you're uh, I'm a little bit older than you, but right. you know, in in, in the in the 60s or 70s, and you said, oh, I'm going to go see a psychologist. Someone would look at you and say, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know? right and that right, was right. that's yeah. And I, I'm a I think I would have grown up in the same with the same stigma there. Like, oh, I must have some problems, or you can't, you know, you can't always. But I, I, as a guy that's like 48 years old now, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think it's a, it's, I think that that's the thing that people, I can see people lacking is just having that ability to talk to somebody right. on a regular basis to have a talk. 
I mean, uh, part of the reason that I picked up the podcast stuff was I'm a, a real estate broker and a general contractor. I'm super busy this time of year, all summer long, but January, February, December, all, I, it's super slow. So like I spent a lot of time just heading up to the Midtown pub for tacos in the afternoon and we'll sit for three hours and talk or have a couple of buddies out. We do six hours of just, just talking, just talking because looking at your phone all day long and that's not, it's not, it's not a good way to do it. And then the Facebook thing and then all the social media, I relate that to the same thing as when you're driving in your car, somebody cuts you off in your car, you're flipping them off. You're hollering at, you know, all these obscenities at them, stuff like that. If you're at the grocery store and they did the same thing, you wouldn't do that. Like you would not, you know what I mean? Like you're right there with them and stuff like that. Like it wouldn't be the same situation. But I don't think people are getting the dopamine that they need from human connection and the, you know, the, the with with the phone because you're you're totally connected all the time. But you know, you're not getting that eye contact. You're not getting that like. Also, you, the, the the text format sucks because people, you know, add in their own attitude to stuff and everything else where like you can get more of a understanding of what someone's saying. And, you know, we probably already talked in, in 15 or 20 minutes more than, you know, you could text in a day on social media as far as, as far as that goes. So, you know, the, the people need to have, I, I just, it seems strange, but therapy would be a terrific thing if everybody went somewhere and had someone to talk to. Yeah, raising your hand and asking for, you know, help because of a, a mental illness, because of your anxiety, because of your depression, should be no different than, you know, going to the doctor because you got a sore throat. Right, right. And the other thing I saw that a lot of people are, need to change their, their stance or their feeling about addiction is they want to push that person away because they feel like, Okay, you're dirty and bad, and you're gonna probably steal out of my wallet and right. Well, I don't know about that, but right. Uh, but they want to push them away because they don't want the chance of getting hurt by this person who's obviously got you know some issues with substance abuse. So, but what should be done is you should pull that person closer, get get them tighter to you, and try and find out you know what can we do, man, to get this. But on smaller levels. Right, 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 right. And some people, you know, nowadays I, I hate, you know, that people are so offended by everything. Some of that's like just fake outrage. But I'm always amazed when I see people that are suicidal or upset about they're jealous of other people's lifestyle that they see on their social media. Jealous of the food they're eating, their cars they're driving, the women they're sleeping with. All that kind of stuff makes them, you know, hurts the guy in his brain because he's not getting that stuff. But you're only seeing exactly what this other person's putting forward, and some of it's all fake. It's just bullshit. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think there's a human connection problem that we're having. But when did the this epidemic start? Because I, I, the things I read were the uh, areas in Ohio and uh, West Virginia where the coal mining was at were hit the hardest with these people that were prescribed. The one town was prescribed some like ludicrous like. There was something like 70,000 people in the whole three-town area, and they were prescribed over 7 million pills in like a year or something crazy. And, I mean, people have got to do some math. 7 million and 70,000 is not a close number. And these people are taking a lot of pills. Uh, so, like, how can we, like, draw it back to the, the start of this thing and then 
you know, I hate to ask you big questions like, you know, how do we get, how do we get out of this? How do we get, because it's, it's, it's a massive, when someone says 70,000 people are being killed a year, it's a massive number. Yeah. So, 200 people a day. But in your, in your, like in your opinion, how do we move forward? What, what, what needs to be done? Well, if you were to pass, you got a magic wand and you're going to pass legislation, what do you do? You know what, I, I don't, uh, I don't usually spend time thinking that big. I try to just help my community. Um, you know, what, what needs to be done? You know, here again, you know, there, there are people who, who are living with chronic pain and who don't abuse these drugs and, you know, the, the, these drugs have a place, I believe, in our, you know, in, in some people's lives. But, you know, the people with, like you said earlier, that may have an addictive personality, that may have a mental illness, that may be suffering from depression or anxiety. Um, you know, some, some people's brains, you know, we're all wired differently. And some people, you know, they, they get in a car accident, they break their leg, they get the, you know, the prescription of, of, of you know, the Vicodin for a whole month. And, you know, it's often a racist, you know, they, they find out that they don't have any breaks. This is that feeling they've been looking for their whole life because they've been dealing with pain, trauma. You know, I think there's I think there's a big link between trauma and, and, and addiction, you know, that, that, that pain, that baggage that we carry around, um, you know, on our shoulders all our life. So um, you say trauma, do you mean like uh, like some that, you know, their uncle raped them or something like that? Is that sexual, sexual. There, there's a huge correlation between sexual abuse and addiction. Um, you know, we, we didn't know until my son passed away that he was sexually abused by a neighbor. Um, you know, when he was probably 11 or 12 years old, he had confided in his counselor. Um, they were working on him getting enough uh, courage to tell us about it, uh, but we never got to that point. You know, and I could see in his eyes that he was carrying around some baggage. I, I asked him almost daily, I, I would tell him, you know, Jake, you know, you're carrying around some baggage or something that's holding you back. He wanted to be clean and sober. He had, he had put together periods of, you know, um, I think the longest was probably about six months. You know, he was 17, he was just shy of his 18th birthday when he passed away, um, oh. senior in high school. Um, so he had put together some time, you know, six months was probably the longest, you know, in the four or five years that he dealt with addiction. But, uh, um, you know, the, the trauma can be anything. Trauma is different for everybody. And, 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 and what some person can handle, another person can't. You know, the death of a dog, the death of a parent, the breakup of a girlfriend, the loss of a job, the, you know, trauma, uh, uh, you know, many different, you know, a, a, car, a car accident. I, I heard somebody even told me that, you know, you were, uh, um, you know, you were breached as a baby or something, or you had a C-section. You know, there, there's trauma in our lives and, and everybody's brain deals with yeah, it Yeah, that, that was my question. I didn't know if you said, like, obviously I broke my neck. I was through trauma. They gave me morphine every, and I've had multiple surgeries and all that stuff every single time. And I mean, the last two times I said, Hey, listen, could you, could you not just wait till I wake up from this other cocktail of drugs you gave me right. so that then I can decide whether I need something or not. Cause I hated waking up and I'd look over and there's that dripping and I feel like, like hazy daisy. Like I was not honestly, like, I, I, I won't say that I was being pervious to that, I have felt that high, a morphine high. And the very first time I felt it, I think I, it was like eight or nine days that I was on that drip because I was I was opened up like a pork chop sure. on the back of my neck. And I was high for, yeah, a good almost two weeks. And when I came off it, I felt terrible. Wow. I, again, I had a detox, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted to feel that feeling again. Like the next time I felt it, I'm like, oh, 
I don't like that. I don't like this at all. I, the last surgery I had, I told them, please, no morphine. I don't want anything like that. And they, you know, didn't even ask me if I was like, you know, do you have a problem with that? Nothing. I was put out for the surgery, um, opened up again. My, my neck was opened up and this is like seven or eight years ago. And when I woke up, they had the freaking drip going on there and I was mad. I'm like, Hey, I told you this is, I didn't like, Oh, we didn't. And I'm like, you know, you write down everything. Why wouldn't this be written down? So I think it's a, it's certainly a go-to for sure for anyone that that's in the medical industry. And that's, yeah, that, and that's a whole other tangent we can go off on. You know, it's, um, uh, you know, years, I'm, I'm not big on statistics and numbers and everything, but years, years ago, you know, the, the American Medical Association made pain, you know, one of the, one of the indicators of, sure. of you know, healthy living, whatever. And um, so now, you know, and they want to treat your pain. They want you to treat your pain. And because of the world that we live in, you know, doctors are rated, you know, um, you don't get a good score on your rating from your patients. What's yeah. going to happen? You might be dropped from your, yeah, your Yelp from your practice. Right, yeah. right, right, exactly. right, right, right. So let's treat. Let let let's over treat. Let's you know give thirty. Let's give a morphine drip when you don't need it. Let's let's give thirty Vicodins for a for a wisdom tooth that's pulled where maybe you need two or three. Sure, you know, sure. or none. I mean, I you know, I, I, I'm a wisdom. I mean, I was a guy who. You know, got my fair share of fights and then for a hobby would go get punched in the face to box and stuff like that. <laughs> so like, you know, my pain threshold's pretty good. But I had my wisdom teeth pulled. They and they you know, I had the I was self employed, had the choice, no insurance, choice of they could put you under or they could just give you the local in your mouth and everything else. And the cost was astronomically different to be put under. And I'm like, Well, you're just gonna be shooting shots in my mouth. So they did that and I don't know. I got some pretty tough teeth. This guy's like standing on the chair, whacking away, trying to get these teeth out of there. He's sweating up a storm and everything else. And he was like, I'm going to have to stop. And I'm like, you know, I got all this gauze in my mouth. Are you winded? And he's like, no, your pain stuff's going to wear off. And I go, oh, no, no, no. You keep going. Let's go. This is hard enough as it is. So he kept going, you know, whacking them out of there and breaking them up and everything else. And, uh, you know, he sent me home with a whole big bottle of whatever codeine, Viking, whatever it was. I take any of that crap. Like I, I'm not going to heal on that crap, so I don't want any of that. And then, you know, my life's always been about I got to get back to work. I can't be, you know, I'm not going to be laid up for three days because of my teeth. So you know, here I go, headache and all, whatever. But I think different people have different feelings about that. Um, I went in for so like being a paralyzed guy. Across the band where my, my paralysis line is, it feels like I'm dipped in hot oil. So it's like burning all the time. It's almost like if your foot was asleep and someone walked by and kicked your foot. But it's on all the time. So like when I first got injured, four or five days I didn't sleep because I was like, what the hell is going on here? Someone's got to figure this out. So they started giving me all these different uh, you know things and stuff like that. And then they sent me to a pain management doctor. This guy was going to prescribe me whatever the all i had to do and pain is something that there's no scan you can't see it he was going to give me whatever so i mean i don't even it would be so easy for someone to be a be a narcotic seeking person with a doctor so and that's what happens is, is um, you know once once somebody is becomes dependent on whatever they're using right they know what to say they know what to tell the doctor and and you know so often it's um 
you know what they call polysubstance abuse, where it's it's not just one thing. I mean, you don't you don't find just a heroin addict. I mean, you, you know, the a heroin addict is willing to do whatever it takes to kill the pain. General heroin works the best. There's no heroin. Heroin. They'll do cocaine. They'll drink. They'll smoke pot. They'll they'll you know. Uh, Crystal meth, you know, whatever's available. Xanax, right? You know, I was surprised. I was surprised to hear there's a reason that drug addicts go to cocaine, or not cocaine, heroin is because it's cheap. It's cheap. I, 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 that blew me away. I was surprised. I, I always kind of thought like, okay, marijuana, that was something that just wasn't my thing when we were kids because it made people go to sleep. It was like, you know, that that's not my thing, but it was cheap. You, You could get, you know. $15 $15 worth of, of, you know, this and then get, you know, a couple joints out of it or whatever like that, where I, you know, and then cocaine was a little bit more. And I, I always figured if you're stepping up the effects or whatever, then you're going to be stepping up the, the cost as well. But a lot of these people turn to heroin because the prescription drugs outrageously expensive, mm-hmm. but the derivative, the heroin is incredibly cheap. $10 for a little bag. Yeah, well, yeah, we learned that one too. I was in New Orleans, and this woman who was sort of attractive walked up and propositioned me for $13. And I looked at her and I go, $13? This is what you're asking for? Is I was blown away. So I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to pay for sex. But, and $13, I'm like, oh my God, what do you have? Like, what? This is horrible. Um, not, uh, two hours later, another woman, same thing, proposition me, and it was like 14 bucks, $12, some other weird number that was like, I'm like, what the hell? So got in a cab at some point and I said to the cab driver, like, all right, man, I got to ask. I was propositioned twice tonight on the street by street walking women. And they were looking for like small numbers. Like that's exactly what she needs to get her fix. And that's it. She's not interested in eating, she's not interested in anything. She'll do whatever it takes to get that $13 to go get that fix, shoot up, and be done for the night. Unfortunately, you know, with the, what drives people to do things that they wouldn't normally do is because if they don't get their fix, they go through those withdrawals. Right, right. And those right. withdrawals are, are hell. Sure, sure, um, sure. Now, okay, so my understanding of it, and I, I keep going back to the, excuse me, to the science of it, and I mean, I want to get on to the you know, how people and, and, you know, we deal with that stuff, but that, so your brain releases dopamine when you get things like uh, the, your favorite food, when you get uh, sex and stuff like that. And the, the documentary I watched said that, um, heroin is something like 180 times the dopamine of sex. Yeah, I right. I, I don't know. No, I don't either. Right, right, right. But I mean, I can't even, and I and I totally can. That made me totally understand because sex is wonderful. That why someone would go want to go. I got to get right back here again. Like, I, I mean, that seems to me. I mean, if I could wrap up the good feeling I had from 180 sexual encounters in one shot, I, that seems. It seems like a scientist somewhere would have found that out and been like. Holy shit, we got to shelf this stuff because this is trouble. Like this is odd. I mean, you would think there'd be smart people somewhere that would be like, we've got to get a good handle on this. But so, you know, but your your field would be more about how families and stuff cope with with these situations. Right. Um, in your time doing it, I got to ask, I mean, how long have you been doing the group? I've been running my own group for three and a half years. 
three and a half years. And our, so from my understanding of addiction, there are no success stories. No one ever beats it where you're like, you're done. It's always, it's a lifelong thing you're going to have to deal with. You know what, that's, that's what most people say. I, I, I keep an open mind. Um, you know, I don't, if you take a scale from zero to 10, and zero is rock bottom where they're doing all kinds of drugs and heroin, whatever it is, crystal meth, their life is miserable, and 10 is being, you know, 100% abstinence, and their life is good, and they have no drugs. I mean, isn't getting to five or six or seven or eight better than being at zero? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, incremental change is still change, and yeah. that's good for sure. Yes. So, you know, studies say that the vast majority of people that experiment with drugs just quit. You know, they just, they, they don't find enjoyment anymore or they, you know, they, they give it up or it's not, it's a, it's an environmental thing maybe where they were working somewhere and, and they had a connection and they partied all the time and then, but then they move on to another job or they change towns or something and, and they don't do it anymore. Now that's, that's not everybody. Right. You know, some people like, you know, that we said there, there, there is a brain component there that, you know, brains are wired differently and, and some people, uh, you know, just don't have those breaks to, to be able to stop. But, um, you know, it, my experience talking with um, people who have suffered from substance abuse um, that would call themselves addicts I would tell you that, yeah, they're an addict for the rest of their life. Is that everybody, though? I, you know, I, I keep it, like I said, I keep an open mind. I, you know, I think I think some people, I, I did a lot of partying when I was younger. Um, you know, I did a lot of cocaine. Um, I don't anymore. I, I never suffered any real real consequences. I didn't lose my marriage. I didn't lose any jobs. Um, you know, and, and, and I was able to walk, you know, I was able to say, uh, you know, I'm kind of getting older that I grew out of it, I guess. Sure. 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 You know? So now my friend that put me in contact with you is a guy who, to my knowledge, has never done a drug in his life, you know? And so, I mean, you got, what I'm trying to show is just that you've got both ends of, you know, are anywhere in the spectrum. You're a guy that partied. So like, I'm a guy that partied stuff like that. And our, our friend, Hank, wasn't a guy that that did that he was a guy that had some beers and stuff like that like i was floored completely i was knocked out of my socks when someone told me what had happened with his son passing away and i was like no and i mistook his other son who i had met a bunch of times for the guy who had passed away and i'm like that this can't be someone's got the wrong information so like there's you know whether they say that people that that uh, I know there's people out there that were partiers that are like, well, I'm not worried about that because I know all the tricks. They can't get away with anything with me. I was in that situation. I'll, I'll sniff that out right away. Bullshit. Yeah. I, I, no, no. And I, I, I try and with my sons, I, I know there's no way for me to prevent, you know, something from happening. They're going to have to do it on their own or wh- however it works. I just try and have as many talks with them I can. Like, hey, man. Really education is key. Yeah. Right. There's nothing that you're going to do in your life. I go, hey, if you're out tomorrow night and you murder a family of five, we're going to have to go from that point and figure out what we're going to do from then. But you're going to come talk to me about it because I'm, I'm the only person in the world that's on your side 100%. So, you know, we need to figure this out. But uh, and I don't even know in that situation. I, I think removing the stigma has to help. Because I think there's got to be kids that are embarrassed to come to their parents and say, I'm screwed up on this situation. How and did I, get, How did I get here? Yeah, because my dad's thought on drugs. And he was a guy that smoked pot and stuff in the 60s. And he was like, if you do drugs, I'll kill you. Like he was going to rule me with an iron fist, like, you know, sort of a deal, which had zero effect on me. None. I, I was like, I don't. 
that's not, you're going to kill me for something tomorrow anyway. So whatever. <laughs> uh, but um, I had another buddy of mine, Bob, we went over to his house. His parents were kind of hippies. And my dad had just said this to me like a week before that went over to Bob's, pick him up to head out for the night. We were going to drink. We we're going to do whatever. We we're going to party somewhere. And Bob wasn't a heavy drinker. He was not a drug user. His mom looked at him and goes, Bobby, if you try drugs, be careful. Okay. And she just went into a whole thing. Like, you don't know where they come from. You don't know what's in there. All sorts of stuff. And the conversation that she had with her son, I was like, damn, I'm not going to do any drugs. She's right. It worked better. Yes, right? it worked totally better. She made complete sense. Who knows what somebody put in this yeah. when they sold it to me? I, you know, I, you can't get me to take an Advil right now because I don't want that to jack up my stomach. So why would I take some powder that I have no idea if there's baby laxative, B6, whatever the hell's in there? But people take street drugs all the time. You're broken glass. Everything else is in there. So that that to me, like the stigma could go, you know, just, just trying to like in the past week or so really try and brainstorm on how to, how to parent deal. Take the stigma away, man. You better start talking to them. Like, Absolutely. you know, make them your equals you, in this yeah, situation. You're not going to be able to control them. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be with them 100% of the time. No. They're going to make decisions, you know, give them, give them the skills to make the right decisions. Right. Know? Right. Well, that's my other thing on uh, social media that I can't stand is the, uh, um, do you have a daughter? Yeah. yeah I do too. And, I see these stupid memes with a guy with a shotgun or a machine gun or something. It's like, he's coming to date my daughter and he's got the gun. He's going to, he's got a t-shirt with the gun and the daughter. And, and I'm like, listen, dude, put the gun away. Cause that's not going to do anything. If that dude's going to bang your daughter, he's going to bang your daughter if she lets him. And then secondly, start talking to your daughter, start having a rapport with your daughter. So she makes better choices rather than you can't. Right, right. Don't, don't, and you know, there's women out there that that have sex for all kinds of weird reasons, right? They have sex because, you know, dad didn't pay enough attention to him. They have sex because somebody paid too much attention to him. All that stuff goes on, so you never know what's going on in somebody's head. You're not going to stop them by threatening anybody's life, as far as that goes, because I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a bit of parent out there that has dealt with addiction that they thought. I'll chain them up. I'll lock them up. I'll whatever. I'll handcuff them to the damn bed, and that's going to somehow solve it. That's the, you got to get inside that head. You got to somehow make it their choice to to do that thing. That's different. Um, like that uh, DiCaprio movie Inception, where they like make the guy believe that he thought up the idea, sort of a deal. Like you got to somehow get like to there. Um, yeah, I mean, so the stigma, and then what else? I mean, what 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 else would be? What would you do? Why would you do it differently? Why would I do it differently? You know, it's um, the same things that you hear over and over. Just uh, be involved with your kids in, in your kid's life. And we were. Um, probably the biggest thing, you know, when I look back on it now, you know, the, the, uh, the, the hindsight, um, you know, when it was a change in friends. You know, when it all started happening was a change in friends. And not... Um, not, uh, you know, getting to know those kids, getting to know their parents, getting to, you know, a better, uh, uh, a, a better grip on what was, what was happening. Um, you know, my, again, you know, my, my kids were, my kids were bright. They were, um, you know, athletes. I thought they had the coping skills. I thought they had, you know, the, the brains 
they'd be able to say no. But um, you know, the old the old uh, adage is, uh, you know, if you hang around a barbershop long enough, eventually you get a haircut. Sure. You know? So if that's right. where you're that that's where you're hanging out, and that's you know, um, I saw I saw the change. I saw the change in friends. Um, you know, and that's and that's really uh, um, you know where where it's where it started because you know um, my my daughter. I talk about my daughter too. My daughter's in recovery. Um, you know, my daughter. Um, you know, she was kind of she didn't she didn't quite fit in. She dealt with anxiety, um, and uh, you know, it, it, she didn't know where to fit in and and, and what group is sec- accepts everybody, and that's the group that are you know doing drugs. You know, yeah, right, all the, right. You know, the misery loves company, and you know, sure, all sure, the misfits. Sure. You know, right. misfit island. You know, from. Uh, the old Christmas story with a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where right, all the, right. the misfit toys right. go and, yep. you know, live together happily. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the biggest thing, you know, here, again, when when there, when there I found out there was heroin in our in our neighborhood and kids started dying and, you know, they were doing it in high school, I, I, I was just blindsided. And I, I started on this mission to learn as much as I possibly could about, um, you know, addiction and, and the drugs, um, you know, Heroin is getting opioids are getting all the attention now, but um, it's much bigger than that. You know, methamphetamine and, and the prescription drugs, the benzodiazepines, the Xanax. Xanax. I, I read an article a couple of years ago. Xanax being the number one abused drug by grammar school kids. Well, yeah, some of this is now. There's certain situations that I look at that I'm like, this has got to be on the parents because there's there's kids that are. My sons were diagnosed with uh, ADHD at like. Nine or no, geez, six years old. Six years old, they were like, it was said that they, you know, they're going to need something. Like my one boy was like, uh, even in school, he had to sit on the bouncy ball, you know, in the class. He's just constantly moving and everything else. And for us, my, my remedy, and I don't, I'm not saying that this is a remedy in any way, shape, or form, was I'm going to put that kid in wrestling because it's going to be such strenuous workouts that, you know, we're going to try and take care of it this way. But there's parents that are loading their kids up on Adderall at seven or eight years old. That's got to have an effect on a brain, as far as that and Xanax and you know that Xanax is a Valium, right? Like the Valium, right? Same thing, right? Yeah, right, 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 right. So like that's got to have. I don't know what the. And again, I don't. You know, I don't. Uh, I don't try to get too extreme and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, because you'll you'll have parents out there, maybe parents who are watching this that will say how much those drugs are helping their kids. My mm-hmm. son can study now. My daughter's getting better grades, you know, that, 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 that. Um, but there's got to be some kind of connection there, like you said, you know, when, especially when, when, when a young, when a young adult, pre-adult, teenager, uh, pre-teen is, uh, you know, taking blue pills from the doctor and then he goes to school and Johnny's got red pills and, you know, hey, well, you know, these pills help me. I wonder what those pills do. So the the thinking in the brain sure. is saying that these help me. Why don't I try? Hey, let's let's swap and see what happens. You know, so the sharing, you know, the sharing of uh, well, the Adderall speed. Yeah. So he's just taking speed. It's, it's like right, 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 right. Basically. And I mean, like, so yeah, for me, like, I won't even. I'm not even a coffee drinker. I won't even. Uh, I'm wired all the time as it is. Uh, I, I see people that are dependent 
on coffee. And it's a big joke and all that other stuff that, you know, I got it's in like, my yeah, coffee. It's legal. It's legal, right. You were talking about earlier, tobacco. Right. Tobacco, it's right. Legal, so right. leave it alone. Yeah, right. We don't, want to, we don't want to mess with all the advertising dollars. Right, right, right. And I, I, I don't know. I think there's I, – I, I always like uh, – my brain always goes to how – to get to the root and solve the problem. And I know that some problems, you know, like they're they're not solvable. They're 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 not, they're, they're not a situation that you can do that. It's, it's, it's love and compassion for everybody. Right. The, the, right. The, the, the labeling, like I was talking about earlier, how you know we're, we're we're so much pitted against each other. You know, again, Republicans and Democrats, black and white. You know, it's just it, it, you're either on this side or you're on that side. Why can't we just all be together? Sure. You know, with all with all the memes going on on Facebook after 9/11. Um, my favorite meme was, you know, 9-11 was the worst day in our country. 9-12 was the best day in our country. Right. We were all united. Sure. You know? sure. And that's, you know, the one thing that I like to say that I, that kind of dawned on me, um, you know, I've, I've been on this journey. I lost my son five and a half years ago, but I've been on this journey for, you know, I guess, I guess about eight years. Um, you know, at the end of this epidemic, the world will be a kinder and gentler, more compassionate place. Sure, sure, we'll have sure. a better understanding of people's hurts, and I hope so. I hope yeah, so. I mean, now, your daughter is she older or younger than older? Older. Yeah, you're okay. Year and a half older. Now, how is she? She had to be greatly affected by losing her brother. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they both of um, both my children were using heroin in high school. They never okay. used together. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how big of a yeah. problem and that's something that struck me too there were so many different cliques of people using heroin it wasn't just like one group that it was all over the place right you know and so you said your son was an athlete what was he what was what did swimmer, he swimmer swimmer and water polo yeah How do my you daughter get by? now okay when you say he's using heroin yeah, I'm lost and all that. Like the heroin that I know is they put it in a needle and shoot it up. Yeah. Is that the way they were taking well, it? Or? I mean, that, that's part of the, um, you know, when it, when it became so readily available uh, and much more pure, uh, a lot of the heroin is snortable. So okay. you get away from that stigma. Here, let's do a line. Or you think you're doing a line of cocaine and, you know, you, you do a line of, you do a line of heroin. Fiction yeah. where she, so, uh, um, you know, you, you lose, you know, that stigma of, oh, I'm never going to, you know, needles, you know, I don't like that stuff. You yeah. don't have to shoot up to try heroin. Okay, see, I wouldn't, you even, know? Yeah, I wouldn't even yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. You can snort a line of heroin, but here's what happens. Once you get hooked and you become dependent on it, the snorting isn't as attractive anymore as, you know, that guy over there is shooting up and, wow, he's, you know. Straight to the blood. Yeah. It's faster and yeah, more absolutely. Sure, are there people that never, you know, that use heroin and, and never shoot up? Yeah, there are. But it's a it's a progression, you know that I you know I think happens in most people that sure sure uh, sure shoot up. So both you know both of my children were IV heroin users in high school. Okay, crazy. Now, right? No, it's it's it, to me it would, my head would explode. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time with my sons. Like you know, like I so to the point where it's like when they go away to school, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do because I'm a wrestling coach, so I'm at practice with them. They work for me all summer and doing construction, and then they're here for dinner, you know, like a couple nights a week, and every weekend they're here working too. So, I, but I still don't ever have any false notion that they could just get that right by me because I don't know enough about that situation. I think they could get it right by me. I try and give them a side eye every once in a while to make sure, you know, what's going on there and stuff like that. 
and I, I got no whiff of anything. And they're pretty open with me about like, you know, they're appalled by some of their friends that smoke pot. Now, how are you on that? Like, do you feel like that stuff's a, because now they're legalized a pot in right. Illinois. So do you think that's, there are people out there that think that's supposed to help the situation because they'll turn to the legal cheap, you know, pot that you can buy from wherever dispensary versus getting street drugs, heroin. Yeah, again, I, again, I think it falls back in. I, I do believe that the marijuana has some medicinal values. Okay. Um, I smoked pot for a long, you know, big portion of my life too. Okay. Um, but I was never, you know, I. Um, yeah, I like to stop because I'm, I'm surprised by the things that you're saying because I was really thinking I was going to run into a guy that you know had no prior history with any of that stuff, no. and then boom, where, I'm, I'm pretty street smart with all the drugs. Right, but I just right. never came across heroin. Yeah, or opiates. I was, I was never, I was never a downer person. I've never taken any pills. I've never taken an antidepressant. I've never taken a Xanax. I've never, I had a Valium once, and that was before I had my mastectomy. <laughs> yeah, uh, is that what you call it? No, no, no. That's, that's a that's, woman. Yeah, breast reduction. When I got right, snipped, right. for better word, for lack of better word. Yeah, vasectomy. Vasectomy. Right, right, right. You know, I had a Valium once, but I was always an adrenaline freak. You know, I was. Sure. You know, sure but sure. Um, I, I use the marijuana. I think more as uh, uh, control anxiety and uh, you know like that. Um, again, I, I don't use it now, but um, so I, you know, I, I think it has a place. But again, I think it's it, it goes back to the person and what they're you know, what kind of pain they're trying to hide. I, sure. I led a pretty happy lifestyle. Did I make mistakes? A ton of them. Did I, did I do some bad things that I'm ashamed of? Of course I did. Um, but I, I never let them dwell and never let them, um, you know, weigh me down, you know, right. now for a person, you know, here, I, I definitely don't think, you know, 21 years old. Yes. Uh, are younger kids going to have easier access to it? Yeah, probably. But guess what? They already do. Um, so yeah. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm not pro or anti, um, it, it's going to happen. You know, it, I was so, really surprised as a young guy, I was at a party and somebody had raided somebody's medical or like their, their medicine cabinet and they had all mess of pills and they were taking them. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't even know what that does. Yeah, like right. it freaked me out. I was Skin, like, Skittles party. yeah, I was like, kids, what? The, the kids throw all the pills in a, yep. in a, in a just in taking a stuff. Yeah, no. I'm like, there's. I'm not touching any of that. That, yeah. not for me at least. You know, like I couldn't even imagine it. And I wouldn't say that I had the happiest of childhoods. I mean, my, yeah, my my home life was not, not a good one as far as that went. My my, I mean, I remember being like completely relieved when my parents finally got a divorce. Like, thank God. I was 15 years old, but I was thrilled. I'm like, holy cow. And I wasn't thrilled because two Christmases. I was thrilled because you know. You two people just don't belong in the same place together. Um, but I still, you know, couldn't imagine that going there and doing that sort of a thing where from what I hear from kids nowadays, that's the norm. They have, you know, you just you better watch your medicine cabinet sort of situation. Lock everything up. Yep. If you're at home watching this and you don't have your medications locked up, go buy yourself a safe. Right. That's, that's exactly safe. where I was going. I was, like, I was looking, hoping you would say the same. same, right, because that seems like the quickest kids, way you kids, could get – yourself no, screwed up people go to grandma's house and you know and, and steal her medications right know? right right you know, I, you know, I, i've even you know that's yeah you don't you don't want anything in your medicine cabinet stronger than tylenol or right 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 okay yeah that would be that would be because yeah. i mean from my knowledge of it is most people are the wrestler that we had heard about 
he had uh, hurt his knee and they gave him pain pills to deal with the knee situation. He was uh, like a sophomore when he hurt his knee. His entire junior year, he was laid up with the knee, but he was taking opioids the entire time. Um, after junior year, he OD'd uh, over the summer on heroin and came back senior year. Uh, you know, like I think he'll have a struggle the rest of his life. He came back senior year and won a state title um, after that, which I was completely surprised about. But yeah, he managed to do that. But like I said, from the things I've read, he's you're not out of the woods till you're. I, I don't even. I, I don't know if ever. Like as far as that yeah. went, like you got to watch yourself. I, I, I think, and, and again, my, my personal opinion. I've never, you know, I've, I've taken opioids for pain. You know, after uh, you know surgery or something like that. But um, you know, I was I was never that I was never that person. So, right. You know, from what I've seen, I, I've never been there, so I don't. I have no idea what it's like, but. From my eyes, from what I've seen with my children, from what I've seen with you know dealing with other people, is that class of drugs is really demonic. Right, you're, right, right. You're, you're dancing with the devil, and once you've gone there, you know, once you've gone there, you, it's a really slippery slope to take you right back there. You know, you don't you don't want to mess with that again. Now, seeing you said both of your your children were were intravenous heroin users in high school. Now, do they have people all around them that have? I mean, are they constant? Were they constantly going to funerals and wakes and stuff like that? Because they, the yeah. circles that they were in had to be devastating. There's been quite a few people um, from, you know, from, you know, a couple years younger, a couple years younger, and a couple years older than than my uh, children, you know, that have passed away. Right. So, and you know, and that, and you'd think that that would be enough, right? You see your friend die, you think that would be enough to make you walk away? The drug has such a strong grip on you. Yeah, and I don't know what the, I, I don't, uh, like I don't stalk my kids on social media, which a lot of parents do, and I, sometimes I don't know if that's a mistake on my part or not, but um, I don't I don't want to, like, you know, try and, like, keep an eye on them that way. Like, uh, I want to try and have a rapport with them. But some of the stuff that my sons will show me like, look at this idiot, and he's like, you know, all about his nicotine habit or whatever he's doing, you know, that he's and he's talking about it. Like, some of that stuff is super cool as far as the other kids go, I think. I don't know. I, I still think that growing up, if anybody had heroin, I don't think it was cool. Like, no, I would have punched him in the face. <laughs> Somebody said, Hey, you want to do some heroin? Right, right, I right. Him in the face. right, right, right. Yeah, because it seems like something that would be totally devastating. Where, right, um, well, here's something that, that that I've also come to believe, and, and I, it may not be 100% true, but I think it's definitely partially true. Um, you know, when we, when we were kids, you could just go to the corner liquor store and hang out outside and ask some guy to buy you a twelve pack of beer, and yep. he would. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now they, you you can't do that anymore. There's laws and they crack down. And, you sure. Know, yeah. They card you. If, if you got caught with beer in your car, the cops would make you dump it out and they let you go. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, things have changed for the better, but now for a high school kid, I think it's easier for them to get a bag of heroin than a twelve pack of beer. You know, that's interesting that you say that too, because like I always made. We used to get into fights a lot when we were young guys, and you get in a fight, you fight the guy. A lot of times you come become friends with the guy. Nothing was nothing. And then I noticed, you know, 20 years later, kids got into fights, and it's in the police blotter, and they're in jail and everything else. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if arresting this kid for getting into a fist fight is the best idea in the world because you're screwing his life up. Then maybe he turns to 
drugs or something like that because he's depressed that his he's life is labeled as a bad kid. Right, as a bad kid or something like that. Or there was a couple of people that it seems like our system is so backwards. We take a kid who gets you know, is messed up with drugs or he gets caught stealing or, or fighting or whatever he does, and you actually take him out of his school and you put him in a special school for kids that have behavior issues. And then all you're doing is putting him in a situation where he's around more kids that are doing the same thing. They just find better ways to do those same things. Like you're just, it's a downward spiral. what happened with my son. Oh, okay. He was, um, you know, he's, he, um, he was in, he was in treatment, um, over Christmas of his junior year. And he was afraid to come home because people were dying and he was afraid of, of, of the heroin. He, I had to, withdraw him from Lincoln Way School and enroll him up in Rockford East. He, he, he went to his junior year up in Rockford East. He stayed He stayed in the treatment. Uh, they had a, a sober living home. So that's a, that's a school that's designed especially for that well, situation. He, no, no, oh, no. It was okay. a public school, but okay. he, was living, he was afraid to come home. He lived up there in a sober home with people, with other kids his age who were, um, you know, also in treatment. Yeah. And um, he stayed sober his whole you know, that whole spring semester of his junior year did really well. Um, he was happy. Um, again, as a naive parent, I thought he was fixed. You know, I said, okay, he's got it this time, you know, six you know, six months clean. Yeah. Uh, six months substance free, I should say. Um, I don't like to use the word clean and dirty, but right. um, yeah, that's he came good. home. That's, that's good advice. Yeah, because yeah, uh, uh, words matter. Yeah. But, uh, it's yeah. part of the stigma. Right. But, um, you know, he came home uh, for his uh, sister's graduation um, in the middle of, in the beginning of June and did okay at home for a couple of months. As soon as he went back to high school at the end of August, he got sucked right back in. Back to Lincoln Way schools? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I hear that the Central's got some serious trouble at Central. Every school does. Do I, I, I don't want to say one school is, is worse than others. I mean, right. They all do. I think, I think New Lenox is, uh, the community is doing a great job as far as um, trying to get ahead of the curve. Uh, what are they doing? Well, what's going on in New They're Lakes? holding events. You know, they're holding uh, awareness events. Um, you know, the the mayor is, 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 does an amazing job of, of supporting everything. You know, there's several different groups in our community that kind of, you know, do awareness, um, like what I think that I do, uh, helping people, different support groups, stuff like that. But, um, you know, the drug take, uh, the, the medicine, the, the take back boxes, you know, that are at the police station, turn in your, uh, your unused medi medications. Um, they, uh, the police department has a, uh, what they call like a safe passage program. If you want to come into the police department, tell them that you need help. They won't arrest you. Oh, that's outstanding. Put you in the treatment. All you're doing is making it worse. You arrest the kid. Yeah. I mean, you're right. just making right. his life terrible. Just letting them know that, that, you know, help is available. Right. And that's right. The message. But anyway, right. getting back, you know, my son, when he went back to, uh, his senior year, he got stuck right back in. He ended up, um, overdosing on, uh, um, uh, which is another benzodiazepine. Um, it was, it was the Friday before Labor Day weekend. So he was back in school a week, 10 days maybe. Wow. And he got sucked right back in. Um, he was getting, uh, he was getting, from what I was told by an eyewitness, he was getting uh, uh, pills from somebody on the school bus, um, was sharing their, sharing their medication. And, right. um, he overdosed in school. Um, you know, he was totally out of it in gym class. They rushed him to the hospital and, uh, um, you know, and, and then they expelled him, you know. 
So he went to he went to that alternative school that you were talking about, right. and that was that was their solution. You know, put all put all the bad kids in one room together, and you know, let them fix each other. No, right, right. <laughs> well, that's not that. You put all the criminals in the same place. You figure out to be better criminals. In my mind, that's what sealed his fate because um, he lost all hope. You know, he was he was so right. so um, disconnected with um, normal life. Uh, that he just couldn't, um, you know, and, and by that time he had burned some of his bridges with good friends that had been, you know, friends most of his life. And, you know, so then he was hanging around with younger kids, you know, because yeah, the yeah, kids yeah, attracted yeah. the right. older kid. And, you know, he, he, he went through a lot of, went through a lot of friends and, uh, you know, good people, uh, you know, that he might have, you know, hurt or harmed or, you know, stolen from or something like that. It, you know, it was, it was ugly. Um, and, uh, um, you know, he ended up passing away in March. You know, so he went. He went to that school for six months or so, and he just, he just couldn't. He, he just, it was easy. He was a smart kid. He, he would do a week's worth of, you know, online, uh, you know, to, to get his high school diploma. He, he would do a week's worth of work in one day, and then he'd spend a whole week doing nothing. Right, right, you know, right, he just, right, right. You know, sure, sure. But he, I had to keep myself in. Went to a, a wake, uh, and uh, the young guy had died of a heroin overdose. And there was the whole group of, there had to be 25 of this guy's friends. You know, I say that lightly because I don't know if these people are his friends or not. Neck tattoos, and they looked a mess, all of them. And they're all out there smoking and vaping and everything else. And my gut reaction was, you sons of bitches. Like, this is your, this is your fault, you people out here. That's not that. That's the wrong tech. Those people, if those people got the same problem, someone needs to get them and help them with some sort of kindness. Not, you know, my first reaction was to be aggravated with these people that he was running around with. But I mean, these are all human beings too. They got the same issues going on. Like that, the stigma thing. That's a difficult one to uh, take yourself out of because I mean, it seems like a dirty situation. It seems like a bad. You know, crowd as far as yeah, that goes. I'm, I'm sure my son's wake there was people who were high, you know, on heroin. Right, um, right, right. You know, that, every person that walked through that line, I, I gave them a hug and told them to take care of themselves. Yeah, right, right. I wanted nothing more. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a revengeful person. Um, even though you know, when I heard, you know, find out somebody told me that, you know, who was giving, you know, who was giving her the, but my son didn't die of heroin overdose. It was okay. Uh, a, a combination of his heart arrhythmia. Uh, he had seven different drugs in his system. His heart gave out. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but what he took that night was Xanax. Okay. It's like four or five bars of Xanax. And, and like I said, he had six different drugs in his system. But when, when he came back, you know, when he was, when he was up in Rockford um, for heroin use, um, to the best of my knowledge, he never used heroin again. I may um, be wrong. Um, but he was definitely afraid of it. He wanted, it to, be, he like wanted wrong, to be. It almost seems like the wrong place to have a have a sober house. Rockford seems yeah, like a pretty, well, there's a good treatment center up there. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. Rockford, I've been through Rockford. The uh, youth youth wrestling state was always in Rockford, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I went to Detroit pretty or something. It's pretty yeah. depressed area. Yeah, pretty bad. Um, all right, I got some questions here from uh, social media that yeah. Yeah, seem I was like reading them. Good, good, good. I'm glad you did. Uh, seem like some pretty. Uh, I'll do my best. Again, I'm no expert. No, no, no. Right, 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 right. We just, uh, I, you know, the, the whole point with the podcast is I'm hoping that somebody can glean something. I, I run with a whole mess of people that their kids are good athletes, they're great students and stuff like that. 
but that's got nothing to do with this. this you this, have to be aware. You right. have to be educated. Right. Don't wait until it comes to knocking at your door. Be ready. Right, because then, it's, boy, that's an up, uphill battle. But, mm-hmm. uh, all right, so my friend Ernie says, uh, what can people do to support others that are close to our family and and friends? So, like, you know, if you're if you're secondary, like, what could someone do that's that's not doesn't have their sons not like you know I I'm at a loss for words when I talk to Hank. I, I don't I don't even know what to say to him. I'm like, what man, you say? no. And I mean, I'm sure there's a pre and post difference, right? What you could do for someone before and what you could do after right. is going to be different. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Well, I think you know, talk about the pre first. I mean, you, you so you, you got a good friend, you know that uh, one of his kids is struggling, and we all have that friend. We all have that friend. Maybe right. it is our friend. You know, what what do you do to that person? You you, you show them love and compassion. You don't shy away from them. Right. You don't be afraid of them. Um, you know, try to learn. You know, try to learn. Um, uh, let them talk. You know, um, do. You know, one thing that I teach. In, in my support group, the number one thing is, you know, when, when we're talking about parents or spouses, you know, who have a loved one who's struggling, is we got to take care of ourselves first. Self-care is number one. We can't, you know, this this monster, you know, grabs a hold of our loved one, but it's not satisfied there. It wants to destroy the whole family. It wants to destroy marriages. It wants to destroy families. It wants to destroy your job, your career, you know, everything. So, um, you know, don't shun away from that person that friend who's got a, a loved one who's struggling, uh, reach out to him. Uh, just, just, just be an ear, just be an ear and let him talk. Right. Um, right. You know, you know, speaking of the pre though, what I saw um, a documentary that was talking about, you know, like uh, the like psychology of it and stuff like that, but also that like using stuff like methadone and stuff like that. Cause you don't get the euphoric high from methadone, but it somehow quells the craving for the the drug. What are your thoughts on like uh, well, what, what's medicating known, that situation? What's commonly known as medicated assisted treatment, yeah. which is the um, gold standard now for treating opioid uh, abuse. Um, again, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I didn't like it when my high school kids were given Suboxone. Suboxone is is, uh, is is the is, is the big thing now. But um, you know, methadone here it it helps some people. You know, some people who are chronic relapsers, some people who've been addicted for years and years and years, can take their dose of methadone every day and lead a relatively normal life. Right. You know, there are some studies, some brain studies and stuff like that that say that you know some people's brains are damaged so bad that they'll never get that circuitry back, they'll never get that dopamine, they'll never, you know. Right. 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 Just, you know, the brain study I saw said that the the chronic use of the drug actually shuts down the dopamine receptors so you have a harder time that's why you need more and more your body stops making the dopamine because you're given you know so much drug right so that's you know part of the other thing you know going through withdrawals and even after you're even after you're clean okay i i went through detox i haven't used any heroin in in a week Uh, my system is clean of it but i still feel like shit yeah that's because your dopamine isn't working right it's been shut down because it's you know it's been enhanced by the by the drugs for so long right right um yeah so the, you know pre right, right. don't don't uh you know don't isolate yourself post if you got if you know somebody who's lost lost somebody um again don't isolate um you know don't uh you know i've i've had people um who i you know i would think have shied away from me um i've got a really good core group of friends and family that have always stuck stuck by my side some more than others 
but um, um, you know, <laughs> saying things like you know you'll get over it or time heals all wounds mm-hmm. or so you know it, it doesn't you no. know my uh, um, you know what I what I tell people what I've come to realize over five and a half years is the pain's never going to go away mm-hmm. um, you know the, the pain is in my gut but my life grows around it okay my life grows bigger I, I bury that pain with new memories right. new happy memories but there's a shortcut to that pain and they can. You know, I, I can be back to that pain in an instant. You know? I, I bet. I bet. Um, so, like, yeah, there's people that even with my the injury stuff, they want to, like, talk and stole me. And, like, I, the cliches, my advice always is just stay away from the cliches. Don't yeah. say the things – don't say the things that you think we're going to make because the, there's no word you're going to say that's going to make no. anything different. So and the, my least favorite one is everything happens for a reason. Don't say that. That's not a thing to say. I know it seems like a comfort. It's not – don't, that's not, that's okay if I think that, but I don't want to. Yeah, don't say that. it. Don't just don't say it. Right. So, uh, but, um, and, and, you know, my thing also is when I don't want people to have, I, I know that um, from talking with Hank, he was like, he had a stigma about himself. He felt guilty himself that, you know, he somehow, and I was like, dude, I, I don't have that feeling about you at all. Like n- there was not even a inkling of that. Like I never, when it, when it went down, I never one time thought to myself, man, what Hank do? Nothing, nothing came to mind like that. So don't even, you know, I told him, don't even think about that ever. Cause that's a positive. That's not the case. He, you know, he's a square guy. So there's a saying, you know, when I'm, when I'm uh, in my support group, you know, we, we tell, you know, the, the newcomers, you know, uh, you didn't cause it, can't control it. You right. can't cure it. No, right. right but right. you can contribute to it. And that's a whole other story. You know, talking about enabling, but um, we can do that another time. Yeah, right, right. No, I mean, if, yeah, if you think of some stuff that we can cover, I, you know, the, the, there's a lot of my podcasts, they're just, you know, interesting topics and stuff like this. I, I seriously hope that somebody could be helped by that, the, you know, the, the experience that you've had. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that you went through. And, uh, I just hope that there could be some good taken from it. But all right, so uh, uh, all right, so my my friend Tim, who was on the podcast, says uh, I have heard the phrase uh, "addictive." We talked about this a little bit. Addictive personality, which means those affected more likely to abuse drugs and or alcohol. Sherlock Holmes, as a fictional character, as an example, seems to have an addictive personality through reverting to his cocaine habit when he didn't have cases to solve as related to in the stories uh can those with can those with similar personality type become interested enough in some activity uh that they would not need to resort to substance abuse yeah i think i think it's uh, critical especially for somebody you know when somebody does get into recovery uh you know somebody who's had a problem get into recovery you have to stay busy you have to replace that that um uh, you know that euphoria. You know, you know, many people turn to exercise. They turn to, you know, like like I said earlier, we're all addicted to something. Yeah. You know, but but unfortunately, some of us are addicted to things that are really really dangerous. Yeah. Cancers, right. You know? right. 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 You know? Other people are just but, addicted to look at their phone all day, and then they realize that oh my shit, the day oh day went by, and my neck gone. hurts. Yeah, my neck hurts. <laughs> right. Right. Too. Doctor, but exactly. Um, you know, keeping. Um, uh, you know, keeping your keeping yourself busy. You know. Um, you know, talk about Sherlock Holmes. He did cocaine when you know we didn't have a case to work on. Yeah, you know that was that that was his coping skill. 
my, his mind was always working when he was on a case, but as soon as his mind wasn't working, he was yeah, he needed something, needed to, something to get high, right? Something to do. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I mean, do you buy into about, the addictive personality thing? Like some people are impervious to being addicted. I, I believe there's some merit to that. You know, the you know we're we're just over the last you know five or ten years really starting to learn about the brain and mapping the brain and how the synapses and everything's wired together and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, do do I think that some people have that addictive personality? After all the you know. Uh, People in recovery that I've talked to, um, they all say that we're we're just different. I'm wired yeah, different. Sure, you know, you wired different because shit I happened have, to you. You may have an allergy to shellfish, right? But I have an allergy to you know alcohol and drugs. Yeah, right, you know? right, so, right, 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 right. Okay, makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Uh, all right, all right. How do you deal, my friend Lisa? How do you deal with an, uh, an addict on a day to day basis? Do you act like life is normal? Depends on who that person is, but uh, you know, again, the first thing—the first thing that you need to do is take care of yourself. You know, your your, um, your self-care, setting setting healthy boundaries, what you will and you will not accept. If it's someone living in your house, whether it's a child or or you know, it gets a little bit more difficult when it's a spouse, especially if the spouse is a breadwinner or something. But, yeah, right. Um, you, you know, when when you're dealing with uh, children living in your house, uh, it's your house. I will not accept. Um, you know, drug use in my house. Right. I will not accept you living here at 23 years old and not helping to pay rent. You know, I will not accept. I have to wash your your dish, you know, clean your dishes and wash your clothes. You know, you set boundaries, and and there's nothing. It's nothing like crazy. Right. Just right. you right. need you need right. to be a productive member of this household. Right. You got to walk that line of being an enabler, where you're just coddling this person right. the entire time. Because right. if you coddle them, you'll bury them. Right. 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 Makes right. sense. So Makes sense. That, you know. That helps Lisa at all or not, but um, uh, you know, again, again, when it's when it's a spouse or something, it's a whole different dynamic. Um, you obviously you can't. Hit, here's something that I like to that I like to say is that I believe that the change we want to see in our loved ones starts with us. Starts with us. So if yeah. we start to change our behavior, if we stop, um, you know, doing the enabling, if we you know set healthy boundaries, if sure. we if we, okay, you're going to go out drinking tonight, I'm going to go to the gym. You're going to go out drinking tonight, I'm going to go out with the girls and, you know, whatever. You know, you start taking care of yourself. Yeah. Start right, distancing right. yourself from the activity that you don't like. And you start, you know, you keep on growing. Right. Because if you don't, you'll get sucked in to that circus. Sure. You know? I always, uh, we, um, we had, you know, wrestling background in the house and then uh, got some guys that run a jiu-jitsu uh, place and stuff like that. And... Now, there's a lot of people that struggle with food addiction. They're just constantly eating, constantly eating. They can't get in shape and everything else. And I'm like, listen, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta supplement that with something else. So instead of going for chocolate cake, you gotta go to a jujitsu class tonight and like take this up and be like, all right, my goal is that I'm going to compete in two months. Yeah. So I better break my ass out here getting this thing done. And maybe, just maybe, you might not spend as much time with the the thing you don't want to do versus the thing that you do want to do. And, and it's important, you know, for those of us that, that love someone struggling, um, you know, change is difficult. You know, we want our loved one to change. You know, we want them to make a, a, a complete 180 in terms oh, of right, right, right. direction. Yeah. Think about how hard change is in your life. You know, you want to stop smoking. You want to exercise more. You want to, you know, uh, come home from work on time. You want to, you know, change is very difficult for everybody. For somebody who's struggling with drugs, change is really, really Difficult. Right, right, right. So that's where the you know the love and compassion, trying to understand what's going on. Um, you know, again, 
supporting them um, without enabling them. You know, that understanding that, hey, I know it's really tough for you, you know, sure. but it's going to take, you know, it's, it, it's you know, when, when, you know, 30 days of, of treatment typically doesn't work. What I, what I like to say, treatment is great. I'm a big believer in treatment, but, you know, insurance companies want to pay 30 days and then you're done. Yeah, right, right, right. Treatment is one thing. Recovery is another thing. Recovery is what happens after treatment. You know, sure. my mistake when my kids were young, the first time they went into treatment, I thought they were cured. They were smart kids. Yeah. You know, they don't do that stupid stuff again. Right, 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 right. I mean, recovery, recovery is when you take the tools you learned in treatment, the coping skills you learned in treatment, and you use them in your daily life. But that's the hard part. That's where the change comes sure, in. Sure, that's all the work, right? Get well, away from them. Get away from them. You know, people, places, and things that sucked you in before. Everybody wants a magic pill to, for lack of a better term, yep. to like, you know, to make you skinny, to make you healthy, to knock your cholesterol down. What's crazy is the magic pill. Those opioids. That is a that's a magic pleasure pill right yeah, there. Because boy, they take that and you are happy. Work. Yeah, right, right. That's the that's the and that's the problem with it is. That it works like that. That that's crazy stuff. All right. So uh, uh, another friend, Jenny, says, "How do you deal with the with the lying? Um, it is so hard to keep help helping someone who you know is lying and doing drugs." That's that's another kind of enabling setup, right? Somebody who's um, caught up in their substance abuse, um, they're lying all the time. When their lips are moving, they're lying. Right. That's pretty much. That's pretty much that's it. A tough one. Um, you know, I I like to say, um, don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. Like, were you all drinking tonight? Right. right. What difference does it make? I mean, you probably already know he he or she was. Right. And they're not going to tell you and, the truth anyway. What do you? Yeah. And what are you going to do if they tell you yes? Is it anything different than if they told you no? I mean, what what right. what are you gaining from it? Yeah. You, you're much better off. Um, I think just. Um, not ignoring it, but just saying, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't, uh, I can't support uh, your unhealthy activities. Right. I right. will support your healthy activities. Yeah, right. But I right, can't support right, your unhealthy right. activities. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I, I try and, my brain's in a quagmire over the whole thing. I don't know what, where I would do, how, I don't even know how, I know I'd overcompensate in so many ways. I'd be like trying to get them to do other activities in such a way that like, They'd be so sick of me, they want to kill me as far as, like, you know, you're too involved yeah. in my life sort of thing. When, when, it, when the monster girls come knocking at your door, and, and even before, I mean, um, you know, a mental health checkup, you know, I, I loved going to the psychologist. You know, I don't I do not do it regularly anymore, but I did for a few years before and after my son passed away. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I loved it. I, I loved it. Someone telling me what was going on in my head and why it was going on in my head. Yeah, know? yeah. I took a psychology class in college, and and I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Like even from like uh, child psychology, just learning all the like you know weird stuff like object permanence and stuff like that. Like little kids don't have that till a certain age, and then just uh, the Pavlov's dog, where you know right. they, they you know, like just the way the mind works is pretty damn interesting to begin with. Yeah. And then I had a little bit of. Um, I think everybody that goes through a catastrophic, catastrophic injury has to have some sort of counseling to make sure that you don't kill yourself sort of a situation. So they had a guy coming in like once a week, I think it was on Wednesday or something like that, and we would just talk for like an hour, hour and a half. We would just talk. And I tell you what, every single time 
I had an hour conversation with the guy. I felt better when he left. I'm like, yep. we could have talked about anything. And I just felt better about it. I'm like, you know what? It is, and that's for me, when I, after I got injured and I got home, I found out that one of my favorite, favorite things to do was make some good food, maybe open a bottle of wine and have a really good conversation with a bunch of people about whatever, about politics, about religion, whatever you want to talk about. Let's have this talk. As long as no one's feelings get hurt, we don't, you know, try and beat up on each other. Usually, you walk away with a pretty damn good feeling about like oh, you might learn something. Might learn something too. Right, 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 right. That's why I like the other podcast stuff so much. So, all right. So, uh, uh, Leanne has a question here. It's a uh, how do you deal with an addict who is an ex and verbally abuses at every possible chance? In addition to being self-loathing to the point you can keep from blocking said person just for peace. Absolutely, every chance they get. How do you try to rise above it and keep peace when it's clear it will never be, never get peace? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's a difficult thing. Here, here's something else. I, I'm full of these things that I like to say, but um, you know, your your ex is uh, is dealing with some demons. You know, he's 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 drinking or abusing drugs, whatever. Um, self-loathing he's he's it's self-hatred he doesn't like himself um you know that his his and and i'm not really I'm, i don't really want to get into religious thing but i i, I use it as a, a euphemism or whatever but his demons aren't satisfied with him they want to destroy you too you know and and i get that all the time with my son's demons you know they sit on my shoulder and tell me i was a bad dad and uh you know i i've learned over the years to just listen to it and then pick it out you know, right, right, um, right, right, right. You know the, the best the best um, revenge against you have your ex who is mean is for you to be happy. Yeah, no, that would do it. Yeah, that would you, do it. You know, and and um, you know you you've been through this sounds like for a long time. Um, don't have your expectations too high. You know, don't expect him to change because he's probably not going to. Right. That's what he's going to be. That's what you're going to get. But if you let it affect you then his demons are winning yeah right that, that's a choice happiness is sort of a choice you can just choose to be happy and not make that and matter i'm not saying that it's easy no no, no, no right. but i've made mistakes that, that i've really regretted in my life and i you can't unring a bell but i'm like all right this is where i'm at today you know my accident was a situation that i have ran through my brain a thousand times like how could i have made that differently how could i be walking around today instead yeah. of rolling around and I don't. I can't dwell on that. I gotta just okay. There's today. I gotta yeah, move forward, yeah. and then and then that's it. So, yeah, that's that's good advice. Yeah, be the happier you are. The you win that way. Yep. Yeah, you right, win. Right, right, right. Okay. So, Stacy, who's a who's a nurse. I'll go, I'll go back real quick. I oh, mean, go. Yeah. Anytime we're talking about abuse, you know, physical abuse, um, call the police. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. she's talking about. Uh, Verbal abuse, yeah, not physical. Abuse, yeah, 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 yeah. And even that, call the police then, because the verbal might lead to yeah. physical, and yeah. you don't need that shit. But if you're, yeah, if you're ever, you know, afraid for your life or whatever, you know, you get assaulted or, uh, you know, if things are out of control, call the police. And either, either he's going to change and it won't happen again, right? You know, he won't make the mistake again because he doesn't want the police to come and doesn't spend the night in jail, or whatever. Yeah. You know, or the self-loathing thing is a, is a whole other basket of trouble too because. People that don't like themselves 
it's impossible to be in a relationship with that person. As far right. As, if you don't even like you, how are you going to like me? Right. Because I'm not you right. and I'm going to be paying your ass. You can't love somebody if you don't love yourself. Right. You can't give away what you don't have. My joke always, I don't care how, how good looking she is, she always becomes a pain in the ass sooner or later. But I mean, uh, if he, if you hate yourself, how are you going to have anything? Because relationships are hard. Right. Relationships are real tough. And you got to give. It's a constant give. Sometimes I think being a single guy is the easiest thing in the world to do just because I don't have to deal with – if I want to have a podcast, I have a podcast. If I want to watch TV, when I watch I watch TV. If I want to go work out, I go work out. If I want to eat a salami sandwich, I'm going to eat a salami sandwich. Or if you got a relationship, you got to like, you know, if it's 3.30, you can't just make yourself a sandwich because 5.30 is dinner time. She's coming home. We're pissed off. So, uh, you know, it's it's always tougher to be in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship with someone who hates themselves, holy cow. Right? That, that's got to be – yeah, that's another mind screw right there for sure. But all right, I got one, one last one from uh, Stacy, who's a uh, nurse. And she's got – She's got several questions. Stacy's a little. Stacy's. I love her, but she's a little long-winded on Facebook. Hold on. Let's see what she's got. No, no, it's not that bad. Uh, all right. She's got several questions. Do you consider this a disease, uh, a personal weakness, poor life choice, or a way to deal with life? Right. That, that's. Yeah. I think that's the best way to deal changes, with it. It changes the brain chemistry. Prolonged use. It starts as a choice, mm-hmm. you know. We've all made bad choices before, you know. But um, that—that's what the—that's what the medical field says. That it's a disease. That's part of the stigma. People say, "Well, why don't you just stop?" Right. If people could just stop, we wouldn't have any ads. Sure. I don't look at from what I've read. I don't look at it like weakness. I look at it like there's a for an addict. There's a need. An actual their brain needs that thing, just like you need food. They would take that over food. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I don't look at it like weakness. I look at it that they're wired in a way that... So, when, once the addiction sets in, it's definitely it's definitely a disease because the, the, the way the brain works has been changed. Like we talked about earlier, it's not making dopamine. You they can physically see it. The scan, they can take, like I saw a whole thing on it. The brain is different. Right. Like they've got a brain of a heroin addict and a brain of a person that's not. It's a, yeah. Wired completely but different. What leads up to what leads up to the addiction? You know, the the original choice. You know, to use. You know, it, it could be many different things. It could be that could be that trauma that you're dealing with. You know, you're, you you want to self medicate. It could be could be the environment. You know, you're hanging around. Everybody else is throwing coke. I might well have a line too. Sure, sure, sure. It could sure. be the right. environment. Peer pressure, be, right? You know, it, it could be. You know, there's a lot of different things I think that lead people to that path. But once the addiction takes hold, uh, it's definitely a it's definitely a brain. Uh, you know, issue. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So uh, is our system failing these people? I think we, we kind of covered that, but yeah, I feel like it's failing it miserably. Like, absolutely. Just, absolutely. like I mean, I, and I don't know why in a lot of, we talked, you talked a little about the, like the political tribalism. And I, I, I'm not a, I don't belong to one or the other. I look at things and I go, listen, if you got the solution, I'll go that route. I, I, I would say I probably uh, am, I'm definitely socially very liberal. Like if you're uh, homosexual and you want to get married, by all means, get married. There's, there's, for, for, for I got no business telling you what you should do in that situation. But um, when it comes to like the Second Amendment, I'm, I got guns and stuff like that. So I'm not, you know, but I probably find myself because of the social issues voting more to the liberal side than I would to the conservative side. But I still, if if there was a conservative 
candidate for president, a candidate for Senate that said, my main goal was I'm going to get uh, this legally legal bribery system out of politics. I'm going to take all dark money out of it. I'm voting for him. I think that is a solution to a problem. And I don't care what party you're with. I'm voting for you. Because if you, that's your main goal, then I'm, I'm down with that. Because I think that goal solves all kinds of other problems. So, but we get a political, the one political party in the country, and I don't want to name it because people get mad. They, they get mad anytime another country comes up with a better solution for something. We, we can't look at it because that's Denmark or that's someone. Listen, if, if it's working, for God's sakes, do that. And I know that there's some European countries that have had some real novel ideas on, on addiction. Yeah. And they're having great results as far as, as that goes. And we need to we, we need to decriminalize some of this stuff because it's not helping the situation. First, you're putting addicts in with other addicts. Not a good idea. Right. And then look at uh, – the, the homeless situation, the, the mass majority of those people are on drugs, on the street like that. So that's a huge, huge problem that's going on there. But every time we put all these people together, just find new interesting ways to get drugs and abuse drugs. And then when you criminalize it, all you're doing is further depressing this person into this situation. You're not pulling them out of it. You're pushing them down back into it. So, like, yeah, we've, we've got it jacked up for sure. We, I mean, our system, our system drives me nuts. And then... You go into uh, mental health in our system, and that's a whole other, you know, yeah. basket of worms. That 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 that's yeah, a mess. The, the system is definitely failing because we, you know, the stigma that surrounds. You know, we look at um, somebody gets treatment and they and they relapse. You know, if if you talk to a nurse that works in the ER, you say, oh, "I've seen this guy five times in the last three months." You know, well, that's what Stacy is. She is a nurse. Yeah. Our next question is right there. She's saying, as a provider. What what can you know? What can we do as providers to help? Or what could so what could that nurse do? Yeah, right. They're struggling. You talk to any you talk to any addict, and they're going to tell you that they don't like what they are. Yeah, right. And I think that's really tough. They don't, they don't have any other coping skills. That's right. their only coping skill. If you're a nurse pulling a 10-hour shift and at the ninth hour, this yeah. bugger comes in, he's all dirty, he's thrown up all over himself, he's OD. Yelling at you, yeah, screaming. Right, right, because he's got a difficult job. I'm, sure. I'm sure it's tough, but you gotta, yeah, you got to toughen up Buttercup and help that guy out. But the, you know, that, that's, that's not her failing the person. It's, it's the, it's the you know, insurance and the medical field failing the person because you know, that, that person needs help. Yeah, and, right, you know, right. That, he doesn't need to come to the ER, you know, three times a month. No, that's ludicrously expensive. He needs to treatment do. that's available right. for him. Right. Right. You know, during well, that moment, during that moment where he may be open to it, you know, that's that's. that's and don't yeah, don't get me started on the whole medical, for profit industry that we have going on because that that's a whole mess too. But uh, okay, so uh, provider, are are there enough treatment centers slash options slash care available for these people? No. No, right. That's and there's, there's, you know, um, there's a lot of private places, and, and here the, the treatment industry right now is is like the wild west. There are good places out there, and there are some really shady places. You know, make sure you vet, make sure you talk, make sure you visit if you can. Um, you know, talk to somebody who can recommend. Uh, you know, talk to many people um, who can recommend. There's, you know, there's some shady people that 
shady treatment centers, but there's some really good ones out there too. Um, now, what about okay? So but, I but the, big, the, the biggest the biggest issue is the people who don't have insurance. The people who are on Medicaid. There are definitely not enough beds for a Medicaid. You know, by the time someone's 35 years old and they've been shooting heroin or, or smoking meth or doing coke and they lost their job five years, the last thing on their mind is having insurance. You'll be lucky if they have state Medicaid. Sure, no, sure, that's sure. a hassle for them. Right, because they got to keep filing for that yeah. and everything else. They're going to yeah, do it's that the paperwork. last thing on their mind. Right. So right. For, for those people, those indigent people, you know, uh, their their options are, are very slim, and it's usually a long waiting list. Right. You got good insurance, you can find treatment right away. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Okay. Okay. That's that's good to know. Um, and then she goes on to extrapolate on that to like, okay, so that that's the patient. What about support? Like, is there, is there are there things out there? Like, I know you have a support group, but are there are there facilities for the family of these? Uh, you know, any care or support for offered for the family of these patients? How do you? Uh, how do you like? I want to get into your. I want to make uh, during the podcast. I'll make sure that I put a link in for the uh, or, or some something they can find that uh, group that you do. But uh, how is that funded? Do everyone that's involved is just yeah. volunteering. Yeah, I just I, I show up every Tuesday. Yep, right, right. Good on you. Good, years. good, good, my, good. It's my home church. Uh, pastor was kind enough to give me a classroom every Tuesday night. And uh, but but there are you know here when I when I started on this journey five after my son passed away, um, I, I needed support. I needed to find a support group, and I never really went the uh, traditional, um, you know, twelve-step way like Al-Anon or Alateen, you know, for non, for you know, for the the the, uh, the non-user, you know, there are twelve-step meetings for non-users, Families Anonymous, um, stuff like that. Um, I went to a meeting that was up in Naperville, and um, I drove from New Lenox to Naperville every Thursday night for about an hour and a half, or for about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, you know, it took me forty-five minutes to get, you know, forty-five minutes there, forty-five minutes home. And, uh, you know, when I, when I first started doing it, I found that meeting. It was one of the few meetings around. It was on Thursday night. It was my night off from work. And, uh, you know, man, the first couple of times I went up there, um, I was like, God, oh, this is crazy. I'm driving all the way to Naperville. And this, da, 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 da. But I'd come out of those meetings, like, you you know, like you talked about, you know, coming out of your yeah. you know, I came out of those meetings, learning so much and uh, so supported by other people on the same road. You know, there's there's huge power in a, in, a, in a support group of your peers, you know, what, no matter what it is you're struggling with, you find a support group. So, you know, now I tell people that come to my meeting, you know, hey, if you don't like my meeting or if Tuesday nights don't work for you, let me know. I'll find you another meeting. Within 20 miles, I'll find you a meeting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Mm-hmm. Monday night in Frankfurt. Tuesday night, there's two in New Lenox. Wednesday night, there's uh, there's there's one in uh, one in Plainfield and one in Naperville. Thursday night, there's one in Naperville. Friday night, um, I can't think off the top of my head, but there, there's a lot more meetings to choose from. Um, get yourself um, to them. To, the biggest thing about my support group meeting, my support group meeting is, is open to everybody. We're an open meeting. We support all roads to recovery. Um, we want people who are not only have a loved one who's struggling. I typically have people who are in recovery there too, and um, we can learn so much from each other. Right, you right, know, the, right. The, the addict can, you know, can talk about what was on their mind, what they were thinking. They can learn from the parent who was, you know, pulling their hair out, trying to, you know, figure out how to fix their, you know, kid or their spouse. Um, but I also invite people who are just, you know, curious, who want to get ahead of that curve, who want to get educated and see what, you know, 
what should I do? What shouldn't I do? Stuff like that. One of my favorite sayings that I've told to my, my sons is, I'm listen, a smart man will learn from his mistakes. A wise man will learn from someone else's mistakes. So you can hear these other stories and yeah. be like, all right, all I got to do is put myself in this situation. And then I learn from that mistake that I didn't have to make. You know I mean? I don't, I don't need to fall in that hole until no, no holes there. Sure, 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 sure. Be on the defensive when you're, uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, substance abuse. Right. All right. Let's see. Uh, I think it. I think it is important to point out you cannot force an addict to seek help. You cannot force them to admit the to get clean, sober. Uh, it is to be their choice. So we we talked about this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, okay. And the question is, how do we do this? How do you get them? Like the inception thing, how do you get them to take it on themselves? To, yeah. to, well, I think it's you know we it has to be their choice. Um, and, and so many you know so many stories and, and families that I've dealt with you know you, myself included you know you, you send your you send your kid to treatment and you think they're going to be fixed. Well, they didn't want to go to treatment. They just went to treatment to get you off their back. You know. So yeah, they have they they have to want it. And anybody will tell you that they have to want it. But what we can do is we can be loving and compassionate so that when they're ready to make a change, when that window of opportunity opens up, they know that you're going to be there for them. You know, um, let them know that, you know, that, that, that you're trying to understand, you know, and, and of course with, with your firm boundaries in place, yeah, you're not going right. to let them walk all over you, right. but you're going to let them know, Hey, I know you're struggling. I know it sucks. I know, I, I know it's, it's going to be wintertime and you're living out on the streets and you're couch surfing in your car, your car broke, you know, whatever. I, I know your life is miserable, you know, but when you're ready for help, I'll be there. I'll support, you know, the positive things you do to try to make yourself better. Yeah. I'm not going to support and give you gas money, to, you know. No, 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 right. You're going to take, I like mean, it seems to me that you're so, going to take invasive action as far as, like you said, locking your medicine cabinet up. There's things that you're going to have to do because this person's going to lie to get the things. Oh, yeah. You don't leave money laying around and stuff like yeah. that because they're going to take that mm -hmm. money. Um, but uh, if it was my situation, I mean, from what I read and everything else, I would have to be insanely supportive but also like you know making sure that everything is padded so that i can't have a situation where i'm enabling you to do something right 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 um okay so let's let's talk about what you got here the norcan what 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 would someone do and how does how does someone acquire that this, this is, this is available at, at almost every pharmacy you don't need a prescription for it um they have a Prescription. It's uh, they have a prescription on file. You can go in if you have insurance. It'll probably cost you, um, you know, ten or fifteen or twenty bucks or something copay. Um, but this is this is Narcan. Um, this is a brand name Narcan, which it's the most common. You know, like like Phoenix uh, Narcan. Uh, the uh, uh, the real name is Naloxone. Naloxone is, is the name of the drug. Naloxone has been around since 1961. Um, it wasn't FDA approved until 1971, but it's been used. Anybody who works in the ER, um, they've been using this stuff for years and years and years. Is now, that, is that the shirt is? The shirt is, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yep, saving lives since 1971. Got it, got it. But if you suspect an opioid overdose, and, it, and, and let me say, everybody should have this stuff. If anybody in your home is prescribed opioids, if your parents, if your grandparents have opioids for pain in their home, you should have this available. Uh, this will save lives. This has saved, you know, one of the main reasons why the uh, 
um, the, the overdose rates haven't skyrocketed the last couple of weeks is because of the availability of this drug right here. Right. Um, this will reverse an opioid overdose. It will not reverse an overdose of you know methamphetamine or cocaine or you know alcohol or anything like that. It works only on opioids. And yeah, that was I've read it, it just blocks the opioid. Or it, it blocks you know the the opioids. Your brain has what they call opioid receptors, and the heroin actually attaches to the opioid receptor. And that's, you know, that's what gets you your high. When you take the Narcan, the Narcan will actually kick off the heroin or the opiate, and it'll block that receptor right there so that heroin can't get back on. Um, this this uh, will wear off 30 to 90 minutes. Um, so it is always recommended if, if you come across somebody who is who you believe is in an overdose, um, call 911 because... For a couple of reasons, because after they come to, hopefully they do come to, um, a they're going to be angry because you just took away their high. They're going to yeah. go into they're going to go into instant withdrawal, and the fact that this will wear off over time, they may overdose again. Right. Depending on how much. Now, depending on how much they have. Does that have the same effect on the on the synthetic the fentanyl? On fentanyl, you may need multiple doses of this. Another reason why to call nine one one. This box here has two. Um, doses in there. This is what the dose looks like. Okay, it's just it's just like a like a nose spray, like an Afrin. It's got a little plunger right there, and you just stick it up in the nostril and plunge it up there. Now, what you should do first off, and, and you can you can you just like anything else, you can YouTube YouTube uh, Narcan, and they'll show you, they'll walk you through the steps of how to do it. But um, you know, you come across somebody who is who is who is unconscious, their lips are blue, skin is kind of clammy. Um, you do a, you do either a, a rub across their uh, the top of their uh, lip right there, or what they call a sternum rub because it's really painful. And you know you're trying to wake them up, you can't wake up. You look, you see that they're not breathing. Um, go ahead and administer this. This will not harm you. I can put this. I can do this right now. Know, it will not sure, harm you. Sure. You will not get a Good Samaritan law. You will not. Um, you know if the person doesn't come to, person dies. Um, you know, whatever happens, you will not be held liable sure. for administering. So, I mean, if you're just straight up ever, like, in your life, wanted to save a life, get some of this and have it on you. Definitely. It could happen. I, I carry it all the time. You don't want to want to keep this at uh, basically room temperature. You don't want to leave it in your car so it freezes or gets up to 100 degrees. Um, they say between 59 and 77 degrees, you know. I'm sure there's a little variance right there. We were talking earlier about um, expiration dates. This has an expiration date of 2021. Uh, this stuff is probably a little bit older, but um, this is August of 2019. Studies have shown, you know, every medication has an expiration date, but studies have shown this stuff, um, you know, kept at, kept at that room temperature is probably good for seven or eight years, at least after the expiration date. So right. don't throw it away. It, it, it's still probably good. Um so very, you know, very easy to administer. It's just that little plunger right there. You don't want to test it, you know, up in the air to make sure it's coming out. Just put it right in the nostril and just plunge it right there. Yeah. 30, you know, 30, 30 60 seconds, 90 seconds. Um, you should see uh, some response. Um, if you don't, go ahead and administer the second one. Um, again, by this time, hopefully the EMS is on its way. And um, you're going to want them there because they are going to need to go to the hospital. I did check out a YouTube video and the way that they described it, I don't think it was, I think it was an reenacted, but it was immediate that yeah. this person came out of that situation. Depending, yeah. yeah, depending on, you know, what the delight, like the fentanyl, 
I've heard people, you know, saying, you know, three or four or five doses. Wow. You know, and 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 again, they can't OD on that. Like no, right. the the EMS, um, you know, they will have, and actually, like when you get in the hospital, if somebody comes into the emergency room, um, you know, they do an IV. Um, it gets gets that oh, with that in it. Yeah. Wow. It's in the system. This has been this stuff has been around for a long time, but it's only become um, you know mainstream, you know, or, or packaged like this. I think within the last you know five, six, seven years. So this stuff has saved countless lives, and um, there's no recovery unless the person's alive. So people talk about this just prolongs somebody's drug use. Um, no, it prolongs the, the the idea that maybe they can get help. Yeah. Some right, time. right. Give another chance. Give another and chance. Then, so that was another one that I saw that really struck me as interesting is people view relapse as failure and they shouldn't. They should no. view relapse as, okay, man, we were just building the house of blocks. The blocks fell down. We just got to start over again. Foundation. Yeah, we got to start over again and just start building again because, you know, you're still alive. And that's, and that's you know, part of the stigma too is, uh, you know, somebody, uh, a, a diabetic, you know, goes into insulin shock because they had, uh, you know, they had the pancakes for breakfast or, you know, sure. like the Dunkin' Donuts or something. Or, right. you know, you've got the, you know, somebody who had bypass surgery, you know, two years ago and, and they're out eating, you know, a steak dinner or something. And, you know, they're, you know, they, they you know, it, 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 it's not, it's a disease, you know, it can be treated. If it's not treated, it, it, it'll, it'll be deadly um, in a short time or a long time, but it will, you know, it will eventually be deadly. Um, so, you know, relapse, um, you know, there's a couple different kinds of relapses. I think you know there, there's you know somebody who's got maybe some uh, some substance-free time under their belts, and then they have a moment of weakness, and they they, they go out and use, and um, the next morning they feel terrible, or or you know Monday morning they feel terrible, and they get right back on the bandwagon and you know call their sponsor or whatever program that they're working, and uh, you know get right back on it. I look at that as a, as a slip, you know, some, you know, hardcore people who are in 12 step, you know, will tell you, no, you start all, you know, start all over day one again. Um, that's great too. Whatever program you, you, you know, you, you, uh, you work to make yourself get better. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a relapse to me is, is a continued use, you know, for, you know, an extended period amount of time. Right now. Okay. So there was, then I want to ask you about this guy. I saw, it's, it's supposed to be not legal in the States, but there's supposed to be some drug that it's a root or something like that that they're doing in Mexico. Ibogaine. Ibogaine, yeah, right. Okay, I pulled it up on my phone. That's what I was messing around there with. And they're saying that they they have, like, I, I don't know how it works, but incredible results. And I don't know what you're – I didn't read into it enough, but yeah. the stuff I read was saying that you could take a straight-up – a heroin addict, guy that's like that, and a lot of these people are going out and binging on heroin for a week because they know they're going to Mexico to get this treatment, and they've come home clean. It's um, I've read some articles on that. And, uh, I'm not hundred percent, you know, uh, or not an expert on that either, but it's a um, the best of my knowledge, it's like a hallucinogenic trip. Yes, right, right. It right. kind of resets your, your the way your brain, your synapses, the way, the way everything fires in your brain. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's something that needs to be studied. Now, will the American Medical Society, you know, will there be funding to study stuff like right, that? Right, right. Yeah, That's yeah, my yeah, problem with it. Because yeah, no. they're, they're, well, they're saying That's now right. that. Look, look at all the Eastern, you know, Western and Eastern medicine or whatever, you know, that, that, that has been working for, you know, Opium, they've been using it as a medicine sure. for years and years sure, and years sure, and years sure, for sure. thousands of years. Right. You know, but um, you know, there's a acupuncture, you know, stuff like that. 
you know, that, that other countries use and have used for thousands of years. That we're like, oh, no, no, you know, take a pill instead. Well, they're starting to use um, mushrooms for PTSD yeah. and uh, ketamine. It was the other one that I saw, which I thought that was another abusive drug where people were abusing ketamine at one time. Wasn't that yeah, special K or something like that? Ketamine and kratom. Uh, okay. But they're supposed to be having results. I mean, I would be. It, it's stuff that needs to be studied. They, yeah, you know, studied for sure. And, right. And here's the thing is, is our society and our lobbyists in Washington don't see the way to make a lot of money on natural cures. Yeah, no, okay. And so when we say lobbyists, like I, I actually was a lobbyist for drug, a drug manufacturers are the largest lobbyists in Washington. Right. Now I was a lobbyist for a consumer advocacy group, and the the act of the problem with okay, the act of lobbying is actually essential to our form of government because every time I went in for a meeting with a senator or a representative, they know jack squat about anything. Like you go in there and you explain things to them, and they are like. Wide-eyed, what? I can't believe it takes you six months to get a wheelchair. You're kidding me. They they send you home in a 150-pound wheelchair, and you're a quadruple. I'm like, yeah, that's how this works because the insurance is all jacked up, and this law has got to get passed. Now, we're a non – I didn't offer them any money. I don't fly them to a golf course, nothing like that. But we, we go there and we inform them. So the act of lobbying is essential, but the act of we'll also den, you know donate $100,000 to your super PAC – that's a problem yeah, because exactly. the drug companies, like you're saying, right, if there's a – you can give a guy a couple of magic mushrooms and his, his PTSD is going to be gone, there's millions of dollars of the treatment he's not going to need now and that's not going to work out for these drug companies. And then this Ibogaine, um, is, do you know anything about it? Is it a natural like, – I thought it was a root it's, or something. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean I was – I saw a documentary on that and they took this dude and he was – he was definitely a mess, and he was he was going to get high on heroin because he was going to say goodbye to heroin because he had saved up to do this thing, and he went and did got high on heroin, and then he went to Mexico, and when he came back, they I guess they checked back with him like a year later, never did heroin again, and I'm like, and I I'm all for studying, but if we're losing seventy thousand people a year, somebody better get studying on this shit because yeah. that's. I mean, because that's the magic pill that you were looking for as a parent, right? I mean, but if you could do that, you would have done that in a heartbeat. I could just wipe this out and have my son, you know, squared away as far as – right, because that's the one I always hear from people is that it seemed like this wasn't my son anymore. This oh, yeah. became a different it's person. Two different people. Right, right. If I could just get that other guy back, we could get the show on the road. So, well – is there anything else, man? I mean, you've got your wealth of information, and by all means, Tom, I think this went, you know, terrific as far as information goes. We're an hour and fifty-four minutes into it. Uh, did end up going us two hours. Um, is there anything else that you think you can get across besides? Give me some times and dates. What then? That location? Where's the hot horse? If you if you're a, um, you love somebody who's struggling, whether it's a family member or spouse or grandson or whatever. Get yourself to a support group meeting. And, and, and here, I, uh, I'm not a professional, I'm not a psychologist. Um, get yourself some psych- psychiatric counseling. Um, you know, counseling is great, but it's also very powerful to get into a support group of, of uh, you know, people of your peers, people who are on the same road as you, and know that you're not alone. That's, that's the biggest thing. My group meets at Peace Lutheran Church 
We're on Route 30 in New Lenox, right across from Lincoln Way Central. I believe it's 1900 East uh, Lincoln Highway. Uh, Tuesday nights, we meet from 7 to 8.30. Uh, like this podcast, we usually go a little bit over. We uh, Sometimes we're there till 9 o'clock, but... Um, you know, if you, if you got to come late, you got to come, you got to leave early, whatever, that's fine. Just come and get whatever you can out of it. Um, any, anybody who wants to reach out to me, I'll talk to people one-on-one. I'll meet you for coffee. Um, phone number 815-354-3195. Contact me if you want to know more about my meeting or if you want to know about other meetings that may be in your area. Um, I'll do my best to find you one. Yeah, I mean, uh, embarrassment kills. I mean, Tom's put on there's no stigma. If you think you're in this situation, come talk to Tom because people die of embarrassment on all kinds of levels. If you People get stranded and die of embarrassment because they don't want to go out and get embarrassed if they got stranded. People get conned out of hundreds of thousands of dollars and they don't go to the police because they're embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Show up at the meeting. Save a life. I will add one other thing. You know, the, 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 main, the main message um, that I like to share, and we didn't talk about it too much tonight, but um, uh, is the message of hope. People can and do recover. Uh, you don't hear about that on the 10 o'clock news. You'll hear about the drug bust. You'll hear about the people overdosing. People can and do recover. There's over, over 23 million Americans that are in recovery right now. Um, my daughter is one of them. Um, she's a success story. Um, is it one day at a time? Yeah, but um, it can be done. And that's the message people need to hear is that people can and do recover. And uh, especially for the person who's struggling, they need to hear that message. They, they need to know that somebody loves them, that there is somebody who's going to understand them, and that they can get help if and when they want it. Great. I mean, that's the reason this podcast, I mean, I you know, sought you out just because hope. And I want someone to, I hope that somebody can get help somehow, you know, in some way, and making more connections to that help would be good. Um, every podcast I do, I ask you, if you like what we're doing, please Go to the website or go to uh, YouTube, subscribe to my channel, like the video. Um, We're on uh, iTunes. We're on Google Play. Anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find my podcast. And, uh, you know, drop me a line. Uh, You know, I connected with you on Facebook. If you can find me on social media, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Connect with me. If you uh, know someone that knows something, you know someone that's an interesting topic for a conversation, let me know. We'll talk about it. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. I really do. Thanks a lot. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big topic.